Last week, we started talking a little bit about the vision of our church. And the vision of Family Life Church is to love God, love people, and to love Warsaw. Last week, we talked about loving people and loving people through the vision of serving. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about loving God. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we become like Him. And the further we get from Him, the less we become like Him. We can see this in the lives of people in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, who was literally a terrorist, and as he got closer to God, eventually he wrote what is probably the most recited love poem in history in 1 Corinthians 13. We see it in the lives of people like Isaiah, someone who was depressed and discouraged, and as he got closer to the Lord, he became someone who was courageous. We see it in Moses, who is somebody who was insecure, and as he got closer to the Lord, he became a great leader. And even one time, Moses got so close to the Lord that his appearance literally changed, and his face was glowing from being so close to the Lord. I think probably most of us want to be closer to the Lord, but sometimes we, like sheep, we wander and we stray away from the Lord, and the Lord has to bring us back to himself. So how do I get closer to God? How do I stay close to God? And if I've wandered off, how do I get back to God? Maybe some of you can remember a time in your life that you felt really close to the Lord. You felt his presence in your life. You felt his joy and his friendship. And you feel like you sort of lost it. So how do you get back to that closeness with him? I want to share with you this morning a Bible story. It's actually one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 15. It's about that. It's about getting close to the Father. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 11 through 24. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This isn't just a story about a father and a son. It's a story about the human condition. It's a story about our tendency to wander. 
It's a story about our selfish disposition, the give me what's mine now attitude. Sometimes we'll see that attitude in, in little kids like toddlers or something like that. And in fact, people have even made names to capture that give me mine now attitude, names like the terrible twos and things like that, to express that attitude that sometimes we see in people. But I got to be honest and tell you, it's not just toddlers that have that give me mine now attitude. Sometimes it's you and me, and it's adults that have that same attitude. Sometimes I've sat with people who have destroyed their relationships that they had with a spouse, and it was oftentimes that give me what's mine now attitude that drove them to make that decision. Or I sit with people who are in uh, like a challenging financial situation, and it was that give me what's mine now attitude that drove them to spend on credit cards and get into debt and to make a, a mess of their life financially. So in this story, this son heads out for the bad side of town, and he spends his inheritance on wine and women and parties. And his life gets really, really messed up. In fact, he ends up homeless. And then to make matters worse, the country goes into a recession and there's a famine. And he can't even get people to give him food. If he's out there begging for food, he can't even get people to give him food because they don't even have food for themselves. Finally, he finds a farmer that'll give him a job. But the job that the farmer gives him is the worst job on the farm, slopping pigs. And this is not a good job for a Jew. Like, Jews aren't supposed to touch pork, like it's not kosher, let alone live with pigs. And now this guy is living with pigs. And then he starts to look at the food that he's given the pigs, and it starts to look appetizing for him. And if you've ever fed pigs before, you've got to be some kind of desperate to look at pig food and to see that as being appetizing. So finally he comes to his senses, and he's like, even the lowest of low servants at my father's house, they have more than enough food. So I'm going to go home to my father. But I know I don't deserve to go back to the room I was in. So I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against him and ask him to forgive me and ask him if he'll make me one of his servants. And then he goes to the father, and we see how the father responds. He responds with grace and mercy and love and compassion and actually throws a party for this son of his that came home. Now from this story, there's four things that I see that the son does to get closer to the father. And I don't know where each of you are at this morning. I couldn't possibly know where each of you are at with the Lord. Maybe some of you are closer to the Lord than you've ever been before, and if that's the case, I'm super excited for you. Maybe some of you, it's been a long time since you've been back in a church, and today's your first Sunday here, and you feel kind of far from God. Or maybe some of you just had a busy summer or a busy week and you feel like you didn't really make a whole lot of time for the Lord in your life this week and you feel that pain of the distance between you and the Father. This is Jesus telling this story and this is Jesus telling us the pathway back to the Father. So this morning, if you want to be closer to the Father, this is Jesus telling us how to get there. The first thing that Jesus says is we have to get fed up. The first thing that happens is I get fed up. I get fed up with my life. I get fed up with my circumstances. I get fed up with the way I've been living. I get sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
of being depressed, of being lonely, of being overworked and busy. Say, I don't like the way that I'm living right now. I don't even actually like myself. Nothing is going to change in your life until you first get dissatisfied with where you're at. As long as you don't mind living in the pigsty, as long as you don't mind eating pig food, then you will stay right there. You'll stay right there and continue to eat pig food and live in the pigsty. It isn't until you get fed up with the life that you created, until you get fed up with the life that you actually thought would satisfy, but it isn't satisfying, that you can finally have change in your life. If you come to, until you come to the place of saying, I'm sick of living in this place that I'm living in. I'm tired of chasing the approval of people that never give it to me. I'm tr- tired of trying to fit in with people that don't have any room for God in their life. I'm sick of feeling far from God. Until you get desperate and you get hungry, until you get fed up, nothing is actually going to change in your life. We see this in verse 13, 14, and 17. We see that he wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry, and he finally came to his senses. This is where transformation started to happen for this son who had wandered off, and it's where transformation starts to happen for you and me. And if you're not there, that's okay. God in his mercy will leave you in the place that you are until you come to your senses, until you get fed up and sick of the life that you have. And when we stay in that place, when we stay in the pigsty, life has a way of beating us up. It starts to rain in our life. And a pigsty is not exactly a fun place to be when it rains. It gets muddy, and it gets nasty, and it gets sloppy, and it is not a fun place to be. And then it rains a little bit more in our life because we all know that when it rains, it pours. And if that wasn't enough for us to come to our senses, then sometimes the storms of life will just bear down on us and seem to pound on us. How many of you have ever been in that place where it just seems like life is just beating you up? This is where people start to ask questions like, why would God allow this stuff in my life? Why would a good and a kind God allow life to be so hard? It's important to understand if you're in that place where your life is really, really difficult right now, it's important for you to understand that God loves you fully and wholly when you're in the pigsty. He fully loves you when you're in the pigsty, but he also loves you too much to let you stay that way. He loves you too much just to leave you there to wallow in your nasty life. He loves you too much to leave you there, so he wants to bring you out of that place. And when God wants our attention, he comes and he knocks on the door of our, of our life. Some of you have heard the verse that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he wants to get our attention. He stands at the door and knocks. And if we ignore it, then he comes and he knocks again. And if we ignore him again, he comes and he knocks a little harder. And if we ignore it again, sometimes he comes and he just blows the door down. And some of you have had the doors of your life blown off. Maybe you lost a job or you lost a marriage or you went through some super difficult situation. God in his kindness 
doesn't just leave us where we're at. He comes and he tries to reach us. I've heard a phrase a number of times, probably most of you have heard it. A phrase is, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? So I've heard that phrase a number of times, and I didn't actually know that that was a shortened version of the original phrase. The original phrase was, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, but you can salt their oats. That was the original phrase. And sometimes in our life, what the Lord does is he will come to us and he will salt the oats of our life. Sometimes he will come and he will add the salt to, to, to our life and our life gets more and more difficult and he forces us, it drives us to the point where we will drink the living water. It's not everything that happens in your life that's bad as the Lord. Sometimes it's just the natural consequences of the poor decisions that we've made in our life. And some of us have lived with a number of consequences in our life from the poor decisions that we've made. But sometimes it's actually the Lord himself salting the oats of our life to bring us to the place where we will actually get fed up. And when you start to say things like, I'm just so unsatisfied in my life. I can't live this way anymore. You might actually be at the point where you're ready to open the door and answer to the door to the Lord knocking on the door in your life. Jeremiah 29:13. April actually started off the service by reading it. This is what it says in the Message Bible. I liked it. It says, when you come looking for me, you will find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I will make sure you won't be disappointed. How many times have we chased other things in our life that we thought would satisfy only to be left disappointed? When we actually go after God with all of our heart and we hunger and thirst for him, he promises we will find him and we will not be disappointed. So the first step to getting closer to God is actually to get fed up with where you're at. And the second is I own up. I own up to my sin. The second thing this son did was he owned up to his sin. He stopped blaming other people. He stopped pointing the finger at other people. And he said, you know what? It was me. It was me that chose this. It was my decisions that brought me to the place that I'm at. It's my decisions that got me here. He did this in verse 17 and 18. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and you. He came to his senses, and what, what that means is he realized that he can't maintain this lifestyle anymore. It's not fulfilling, and it's not sustainable. He realized that living without the Father didn't make sense. It's not rational to live without the Father. And he says, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. Nothing is actually going to change in your life until you come to this second stage of owning up to your sin. Getting fed up is the first step to moving towards God. But you can stay in that place of being fed up, and you're just going to get bitter. You're going to get angry. It isn't until you move on and are actually willing to admit that it was my decisions that brought me to the place that I'm at, until you're willing to own your sin, that something can actually change. Until you say, I've been living the way that I thought was best, and not the way that God says was best. I've been trying to control everything, and I'm sick of trying to hold the controls. I resign as general manager of the universe. Like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to try and control my life. I give you control, God. Isaiah 59.2 says, 
But your iniquities, which is another word for sins, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. How many of you have ever prayed and felt like God was a million miles away? Like you prayed and you feel like your prayers just hit the ceiling and fell to the floor. Like you used to be able to feel God's presence, but now it feels like he's so far from you. If you find yourself in that place, there's a real good chance that it's your sin that's hiding God's face from you. If you feel far from God this morning, take a guess who moved. It wasn't God. Some of you have heard the story of the husband and wife who sat in the pickup truck, and the wife leans over to the husband and says, you're so far from me. And he was driving, and he said, well, I haven't moved. And the same is true with us. We are the ones that moved away from God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's always there to love us unconditionally. So if we're far from him, it's because we've moved. And the way that we move away from God is by loving other things. The Bible calls this idolatry. When we think of idols, sometimes we think of like a a Buddha statue or some stone statue or something like that. But when the Bible talks about idols, it talks about when we love other things more than we love him. And it can really look like anything. It could look like a truck or a job or money or a person or success or a hobby Anything that we love more than God is an idol, and it pushes us far away from him. It's not really that any of those other things are bad in and of themselves. It's just that they're not worthy of being first in our life. The fact is, we, each one of us, are as close to God as we want to be. We can't blame anyone else. We can't blame our parents or our spouse or our sleepy president. We can't blame anyone for the distance between us and God. It's our choices that separate us from God. David is someone who is talked about all throughout the Bible. And he prays this prayer when he realizes his own sin and he sees it. And I want you to see the way that he owns this sin in his life. And this is after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband murdered to try and cover it up. So this is like a real bad couple days for David. Like things aren't going so good in David's life. He's making some real bad decisions. But when he's confronted with it and he sees it, I want you to hear the way he owns his sin in this prayer. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David stopped blaming everyone else. He stopped blaming Bathsheba. He stopped blaming his parents and he said, it is me. It is me who made these decisions. God, would you wash me and make me clean? I think it's so important to see how God responds when we own up to our sin. When we own up to our sin, God doesn't rub it in our face what we've done. He doesn't remind us of all the places that we've failed in the past. In fact, later in the Bible, David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. So that's the way that God sees us after we come and own our sin. In Isaiah 118, 
Isaiah, speaking on behalf of the Lord, says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. When we own our sin, God says, no matter what you've done, I can deal with it. No matter what the stain is that's on your life, I can remove it. So the first thing the son does is he gets fed up. The second thing he does is he owns up. And the third thing we need to do is we offer up. I offer up myself to God. I want you to look at this contrast in these two verses in Luke 15. I want to look at the way the son is in uh, verse 12 and then in verse 19. In verse 12 he says, Father, give me the share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. And then in verse 19 he says, make me like one of your hired servants. He goes from give me to make me like one of your servants. This is such a huge change in the heart of the son. It's like literally polar opposite. He goes from one extreme to the next. He goes from entitled to make me a servant. From God, what can you do for me? To God, what can I give to you? He goes from self-centered to God-centered. Now this transformation doesn't happen overnight usually in our lives. Usually it's a lifetime of walking out that living sacrifice type of life. But there will always be a point that we can point to in our past that we made the decision to go from give me what's mine to make me your servant. And for this son, it was the pigsty. It was the decision he made in the pigsty. They said, you know what? I don't want to be looking for what I can take. I want to be looking at what I can give. I want to move from a taker to a giver. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about being transformed into the image of of God. This is the transformation that took place in this son's life. And that word that is used in the Greek there for transform is the word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis is the process that a butterfly goes through when it starts out as a caterpillar and then it becomes a pupa and then eventually it becomes this beautiful butterfly. And that transformation doesn't happen quickly or overnight. It takes a while in fact, there's even a season in the middle there where it looks like it's dead, but then something beautiful comes from it. And that's the transformation that happens in our lives when we offer ourselves up to the Lord. He can take our mess, and he can take us through a process, and he can make something beautiful. He can take the give me what's mine now attitude, and he can turn us into a servant. Romans 12:1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how does God respond when we offer ourselves up? How does God respond to us when we say, okay, God, I'm willing to offer myself to you? We see this in verse 20 and 22. So it's filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, he threw his arms around him, kissed him, and said, bring the best. And aren't you glad this morning that we serve a God that doesn't even just meet us halfway? If he met us halfway, that would be awesome. 
But God, as soon as he sees us look to him, as soon as he sees us turn to him, he runs more than halfway. As soon as he sees us surrender our hearts to him, we serve the God that comes running to us. And he doesn't just give us what we deserve. He gives us the best. He gives us the best. One of the versions that I read this story in talked about the ring that was put on this son's finger, and they called it the signet ring. And the signet ring was the ring that the family members would wear that had the family crest on the ring. And you couldn't buy property, you couldn't buy cattle, you couldn't do any of that without signing the contract at the bottom. Then they would dump hot wax on the bottom and you would place the signet ring in there. And it would say that I have the authority to buy and sell and do transactions on behalf of the family business. This guy burned up half of his dad's wealth. His wealth that his dad spent a lifetime earning and saving. He burned it up in a short period of time. And his dad said, go get him the ring that gives him the authority to buy and sell on behalf of the family. God comes to us and he gives us the best. He gives us what we don't deserve. It'd be like if you had burned up half of your family's wealth and then you came back and they gave you the family business credit card. said, go get busy. Like God gives us so much more than we deserve. The first thing we have to do is we have to get fed up. Then we have to own up. Then we have to offer up. And the last thing that we do is we lift up. We lift up a praise. God doesn't expect us to come back to him in condemnation. You can come to God this morning if you've been far from him. You can come back to him with celebration on your lips. You can come back to him and you can say, thank you, God. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, your compassion, your kindness in my life. Psalm 68.4 says, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. God doesn't want you to come back to him and sheepishly sit in the corner and mope about what you've done. He wants you to come back and party. Some of you need to start singing in church like God wants you to come back and start a party. To the one who was far off but now is home, you got to start to sing. you got to start to lift up your voice and sing. That's part of the reason that we sing together on Sunday mornings. You might say, eh, I don't have a really good voice. I'm not a very good singer. You're what we call a prison singer. You're always a, a few bars behind and you never seem to have the right key. It's okay. The Bible actually says when it comes to playing instruments, it says to play them skillfully. But when it comes to singing, what the Bible says is to make a joyful noise. Every one of us can make a joyful noise. You might make the people around you laugh, but it's still a joyful noise. You can hoot, you can holler, you can make a joyful noise. Each one of us is capable of that. I read a story about a psychiatrist who would take in patients who were struggling with depression and he would sit during their first session and he would ask them what brought them to this place of being depressed and ask them what their life was like and what they had experienced in their life and he would listen to their story. He would get to the end of the first session and he would say, I have an assignment for you, I have a homework assignment for you and I won't see you for a second session unless you're willing to complete the assignment. But if you're willing to complete the assignment, I'll see you for a second session. So he would ask the the patient, when was the last time you sang full voice? Most of them kind of looked at him and was like, 
I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever sang full voice. Like maybe when I was a child, I, I don't really know. He said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a plane ticket this week and go see your favorite band. I want you to go sit in the most full section at the venue that you go to. And I want you to sing every song as loud as you possibly can. Then for the next four weeks, I want you to find a Pentecostal church where people are wild and crazy. Again, I want you to find the most congested place in the church to sit. I want you to find one seat you can go climb up into. And I want you to sing the songs as loud as you can. You won't know the songs the first week. It's okay. Maybe by the second or third week, you'll learn them. But just follow along and sing the best that you can. By the fourth week, you should know the songs. You should be good to go. He said, if you do that for four weeks, you go see your, best, your favorite band, and now you sing in a Pentecostal church for four straight weeks as loud as you can, if you're still depressed after that, I'll take you in to see you for a second appointment. He said, very, very few people uh, called him for a second appointment. And it wasn't because they didn't complete the assignment. Most people completed the assignment. And in completing the assignment, they found that some of the depression that they struggled with started to fall off. They started to find new freedom and joy in their life from singing. And some of you come up into church and you need to start to sing. I can see depression on some of you. I can see the shame that's sitting on some of you. God doesn't want you to sit far off and think about what you've done. With the son that came back that had wasted half of his wealth and squandered his life, he said, bring him the best. Let's start a party. Some churches call their Sunday morning service their celebration service. And I think that's an awesome name for a Sunday morning service. You'll notice that when we start our worship together on Sunday mornings, we almost always start off the service with fast, upbeat songs that talk about who God is and what God has done in our lives. And we need to be able to sing out loud and remind each other of this awesome God that welcomes us back into this family, this awesome God that gives us the best, the God that goes and meets us more than halfway to bring us home. This morning, we started off the worship singing the song Freedom. that talks about the freedom that Christ purchased for us. Like I started off in this message saying, I don't know where each one of you are. Some of you might be far from God. Maybe this is your first time back in church in a long time, and, and you haven't been giving God any time in your life. And maybe you're close to God, or maybe it's just been a full summer, or maybe just the last week has been full and busy, and you haven't really spent any time with the Lord. I want you to know this morning that God wants you to come home. Each one of us, even if you're close to the Lord, there's a step in here that you can take. If you want to be closer to the Lord, you need to start by getting fed up with your life, fed up with where you are. Then you need to own up to your sin. You need to offer yourself up and lift up a praise. I want to open the altar this morning, and I have a ministry team, and I want to invite the ministry team to come. And I just want to encourage you this morning to take a step towards the Lord, to say, God, I want to be close to you. Even if I'm close to you now, I want to be closer to you. To say, God, I see a step in this sermon, one of these four steps that I could take. Maybe I've been in the pigsty, and I've just been comfortable there, but I don't want to stay there. Or maybe you've been in a place where you've been sick of the way your life is, but you've been pointing the finger at everyone else, and you haven't owned up to your sin and said, you know what, it's me that got me in the place that I'm at. Or maybe you haven't actually offered yourself up. Maybe that I want mine now attitude has been 
way too prevalent in your life, and you know you need to come to a place of saying, God, could you make me a servant? Or maybe you already have actually offered yourself up to the Lord, but you've been feeling like you need to keep yourself far from God because of sin in your life, because of the places that you failed. It'd be like Adam and Eve. You've run and you've been covering yourself up with leaves to hide from God. But you see this morning that God doesn't actually want you to stay far away. He wants you to come back and kick off a party. I want you to encourage you to take a step and respond to this word this morning and say, God, I want to be closer to you. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for each one of us that are here this morning. And Lord, even though we don't deserve to be close to you, you still come and you call us and draw us back into the family. Lord, even when we were afar off and you saw us turning our hearts to you, you came running and you wrapped your arms around us and kissed us and you said, bring the best. Lord, we don't want to get so busy in our lives, so full of so many other things that we forget about you. God, we want to be close to you. So we invite you to come and to call us home this morning. And Lord, we respond. And we take a step today to be close to you. In your name we pray, amen. There'll be a ministry team up front this morning. If you want to come and get prayer and say, God, I want to take a step close to you, you can come forward and respond. If you feel to go, have a blessed week.